I would say for children, there is a lot of evidence on really concerning effects on cognitive development, psychological studies and brain imaging studies showing how kids who are exposed to screens excessively basically have lower uh, cognitive uh, assessment results. And when you look at the brain imaging of the brains of these kids compared to kids who use screens less, there are differences in the brain scans. So that's one very concerning area. All right, everyone, welcome to the newest episode of Heal Thyself. We are going in today. I have Gaia Bernstein, the author of Unwired. This is a book that lays out what the heck is happening when it comes to cell phone addiction. This guest spot is for everyone. If you got a cell phone in your hand right now, it's for you. If you have a cell phone five feet away from you, it's for you. If your kids are using cell phones, it's for you. She's going to go into how cell phones are affecting our mental health, our physical health, and how now we're seeing it's affecting our children's health. We're going into all the details and the solutions, of course. What can we do now, now that we're seeing how cell phones are affecting our mental and physical health? And for the knowledge bomb, I'll be going over labels. This is easy, this is easy. I'm gonna give you three labels that are popular in the food industry right now. And I'm gonna give you 90% of everything you need to know about how to shop for quality. Three labels, easy read, understanding what they mean, and now when you go to the supermarket, you're gonna be the most empowered you've ever been. It's gonna be a good show. Let's get right into it. All right, everyone, look. You know, cell phones have been taking over our lives, but really subliminally. We're not paying attention, but over the years, it's been that thing that has sort of weaved its way into our consciousness. Well, there's a book that's out. It's called Unwired. And it goes deep into the understanding of what happened? How did we get here that we're so addicted to our cell phones and how it's affecting us, our relationship to each other, our relationship to ourselves, and guess what? I got the author, Gaia Bernstein, on the show. She's a professor at Seton Hall. And now the book that is just fresh off the presses that has been out this week that I've been digging into because I got a little early copy. I've been digging into, and it's fantastic. I got it right next to my bed. I read it every night. Welcome to the show, Gaia. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Let me, let me just get right from the get-go. I really need to know. Have cell phones forever changed the way we relate to each other? I think they have. I think not from the first moment we got our um, flip phones, but from the moment we got the smartphones, things started changing because at that point we could suddenly do everything on the go. Not just make phone calls, but uh, text, order groceries, read anything. And we just stopped paying attention to where we were and just only focus on our phone. It's pretty incredible because do we even remember what life was before that? I mean, it, it, have we lost that memory? Well, I think some of us do, but some of us who are younger basically grew up in this era. So kids, young, young adults may barely remember a different time. I would say it was around 2009. So 14 years ago, there are college students who probably don't remember anything else. Yeah. I remember I was driving around with my partner recently and I go, huh, what did we do before maps on our phone? 
And she was like, well, we, we knew how to drive. We remember the streets. We actually had our, that part of our memory, you know, really activated and going. And I was like, huh. I was like, that's wild how much we've depended over the past few years. Yeah, I love it when we walk with our phones in the street and we look at where we are. We don't even look up to see the address, which might be right next to us. We're still relying on the mm -hmm. phone. Mm -hmm, I know. And it, it, and it happens more often than not. I mean, go to your nearest bus station and you'll see it yourself how disconnected we are from each other. Okay, so you got this book out and, and it's basically that the telling us of what happened, right? Uh, you, you mentioned around like 2009. And when I was reading in the book, I go, what was I doing in 2009? And then I remember that was when I sort of switched from that. I had a um, LG chocolate. That was the, the, the little, for people viewing and listening. Remember that one? That was a, a blast from the past. And then that moved to the BlackBerry. And like you said, I had everything on there. All of a sudden I had email there. I had all my texts going through there, my calls, and I had internet right? And life changed completely. So in your research and, and everything you've been compiling, what have been some of the top most surprising things that you've learned about cell phones since then? I have learned uh, a few things. I'm not sure it's just cell phones, by the way. I think it's the fact that we are more and more enmeshed in our screens everywhere. I think cell phones were a huge thing that contributed to that. So one thing I've learned is the impact on all of us. And I think for a while people didn't realize what was happening because it sort of happened to us gradually. We didn't, nobody ever said, I want to spend five hours on my phone alone. It just happened through small decisions we made, like starting to use email on the go or adopting an app. And then data started coming out on the impact on adults and children. And at first, people just said, well, you know, you, when there's a new technology, people always say bad things about it. But the evidence just kept growing and growing. And I would say for children, there is a lot of evidence on really concerning effects on basically cognitive development, psychological studies and uh, brain imaging studies showing how kids who are exposed to screens excessively, which are many of them, basically have lower uh, cognitive uh, assessment results. And when you look at the brain imaging of the brains of these kids compared to kids who use screens less, there are differences in the brain scans. So that's one very concerning area. Uh, impact on mental health, there's been tons of news about that. How um, spending so much time online and especially in social networks has a big impact, impact on attention, obesity, and then for all of us, general impact on how connected we feel to each other, how happy we feel, how people are more focused on anger and hate. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them. And their quality 
Alitara Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you asked me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. Let's go back to the kids because there's a lot of young parents who watch this show. There's a lot of older parents who have older kids who watch the show. Uh, but cell phones have been a big part of these children's lives for quite a while, even the even the ones that were just born maybe five years, six years ago. So in, in all of this research, what you've been seeing, you know, we, we learned about the brain imaging, your professional opinion, how deeply are cell phones affecting children's health? I think being on a screen is, is a huge problem. The younger the kids are, the, the worse it is, but we're not just talking about toddlers or people in elementary school. Even for teens, there's a big impact. And the thing is, there's, you know, with small children, in a way, it's easier. You can just not give them screens. You don't have to give your, to your old toddler a screen or a cell phone. But it becomes much more complicated when the kids go to middle school and their life revolves again around social networks and... You know, cell phones mean independence and there are no public phones around even. So it becomes 
there's no middleway option. It's basically you give it to them and then they're sort of gone. Mm, it, it's true. And, and, and what is the repercussions? How, what is the repercussions? What do you see, foresee in the future happening for a kid who's born into the world where part of their reality that they're experiencing is a screen? What is the predisposition long-term? I think, you know, the way they interact changes because, and there's lots of data about that, the kids today, teens, they do not meet in person much. I think it's basically less than half in the 1980s. Uh, They don't go to parties much. Uh, They stay home and they interact on the screen. They don't they basically prefer to interact through writing, not through talking. And the thing is, there's an impact of how they feel. They don't end up feeling good through that. They, they, these hours on the screen alone, our brains are not wired for that. There are lots of studies uh, from happy studies showing that this is not... Everybody knew for a long time that long-term relationships are important for happiness, but this is not just about long-term relationships. There are studies showing that if a person just talks to somebody in person, whether it's kids playing in the play- playground or just talking in the street, saying hi, saying a few words, it affects our brains in a way that basically increases our level of happiness. Mm-hmm. And when this is missing from our life. There's this feeling of discontent, which also we've seen more alarmingly for kids, a huge rise in suicide rates and anxiety and depression, which sort of started to go up from 2010. And at first it was not clear if it was that or other factors playing in here, but I think there's enough studies showing that screens and social networks as well have a big role in this. A hundred percent. And and we we think about social media, right? We feel in in many ways artificially connected via our cell phones. But you're saying the importance of that, and there's data out there showing that human connection, speaking to someone, actually changes our physiology and our body, increases our mood, makes us feel better, makes us feel healthier. And one part of the book that really stood out for me was the part that you just said, 50% or so decrease in just children being active and social and, and outside. They're, they're indoors. And, and I was thinking to myself, when was the last time that I saw kids riding the bike all throughout town, kids in the middle of the street playing street ball, basketball, baseball? When I grew up, that's all you saw. You can go up three, three blocks, four blocks, there's another set of kids playing. And it was much more communal. Do you think that we'll ever go back to that? You know, I, I'm an optimist, and I think a few things happen together, which give me hope that things will change. Uh, the first thing is all the data I mentioned. I think at this point, it's pretty clear that there's a public health crisis for kids, and I think that politicians on both sides of the aisle realize that and are trying to, to change things. So that's one important thing. We also know who is responsible. I mean, uh, it's clear that technology companies are addicting all of us to stay online for longer because that's the whole business model. The business model is based on our time and our data. And they need to keep us there for as long as possible to collect data on us and so they can target more advertising to us. So 
And then we have evidence from whistleblowers like Francis Hogan, who worked at Facebook and talked about how Facebook that owned Instagram knew the whole time what was going on, that addicting kids was affecting their mental health, but kept going. So we have so much information. And then we also have the pandemic. And I think the pandemic sort of changed things because before we were sort of heading into this insane trajectory of more screens and more screens and more immersion. But we, especially through lockdown, and I live here in New York City, lockdown was very, very long. We felt what it means to be in front of screens the whole time in our bodies, in our minds, how horrible we felt, how much we yearned to have his social connection. Before the pandemic, you know, the online education was what everybody wanted. Well, when it became the only option, students didn't want to go to college. They deferred. They wanted to be in the classroom with other people. So I think this realization, together with the data, together with the evidence, I think gives me room for hope that things will change. And I think things are already changing. Oh, I, I love to hear the optimistic view because that makes me feel good. Um, something that always stuck out is that whistleblower that you mentioned that I remember hearing about these reports that aside from now having the knowledge that this is affecting us, continuously putting out the addictive model of keeping our time and attention, which is, I remember seeing a, a post somewhere, maybe it was on Instagram that said, those are our two most valuable resources right now because we're giving it up so fast. Time and attention is something that the presence to be with someone is now valuable. Something that was sort of naturally occurring before the cell phone is now so, so valuable. So I wanted to go to the part about mood and, and feeling connected. When we have a cell phone in front of us, how deeply is it affecting, let's say our kid is at the dinner table, we're all eating alone, and the moment our kid takes out the phone and is on the phone, how deeply is it affecting our social connection? Uh, it, it, the, the addiction, how deeply is it connecting us to feel more alone, more socially isolated? Have you seen any of that when you came across the data that you put in your book? No, I've seen it. And also, it's interesting because when one person picks up the phone, it affects everybody else. It affects relationships because some people just tend to use the phone more than others. And the thing is, if you have a partner or if you have a parent who's always on the phone, you feel isolated. And also, if you're a child, you're more likely to end up using the phone more. That's what the data shows. So in a way, it's a bit like when you think about secondhand smoke. So people were not smoking, were affected by smoking. This is a bit like this, because even those who are not heavy users, and we are all pretty heavy users of this tech, end up being affected in how much satisfaction they get from social connection. Mm, and, and I want everyone viewing and listening to think about this. How often you see, let's say you're at dinner, and you're with a friend, you're a bunch of friends, and the conversation kind of died down, it's getting more quiet, and when somebody takes out their phone, immediately that's the permission for everyone else around you to take out the phone. And next thing you know, you look up and everyone at the dinner table is on their phone. An experience like that is just, it is, is incredible to see, like you said, secondhand smoke. One opening of that creates everyone else affected by it. And, and psychologically, what's happening? 
Yeah, I think it's even more than that. In a way, if you're sitting with a friend in a restaurant and they start doing something on their phone, it's impolite to sort of stare at them. It's sort of a norm to take out your phone too because now you have something to do. Right, right, right. And, we, and, and that's part of like our human nature, right? Like yeah. how uncomfortable it is to sit here and do this. Um, you mentioned something, obesity, the, the, the depression, right? The, the sense of loneliness. Um, how rampant is it? right now? How rampant are people feeling more socially isolated and depressed? And and how much do you think cell phone use really has to do with that? Well, I think the uh, rates of depression, as I said before, basically, it was not clear whether it was the screens or other things that were happening at the same time. For example, around the same time, the trend of overparenting came into effect and parents were monitoring their kids all the time. So it took a while to sort of disentangle this. But I think at a certain point, the studies were able to show that there was a connection between depression and and the screens. And and the thing is, I've, and I think also, but I want to emphasize, it's not cell phones is one thing, but it, not all content is the same. I mean, reading the New York Times on your cell phone is not the same as being on social media or in a game or getting emails and texts when you constantly get these dopamine boosts. So you have this thing that's called the intermittent reward model. And so you, you basically, the idea is that our brains um, neurotransmitted uh, dopamine is exerted at larger quantities if we get a reward in an igri- or not on a regular basis. So many of these uh, designs online are there to once in a while give us a reward. So we never know when we're going to get a like or a comment or some addictive features in games called loot boxes. So, or when you go on Tinder, you don't know when you when we swipe, swipe when you're going to get a match. So that's different uh, than just reading something on your phone. And I think it's important to make this distinction because my goal is not to say all of this has to go. We're never going back. But some of this has to go. Yeah, and and we think about just that. We think about how are we using our phones? What is the the window of knowledge? Are Are we learning more? Or are we just putting that aside and, you know, completely immersing ourselves in those dopamine hits over and over and over. I would actually say probably the latter is true for most people. Uh, there's not many people reading news articles, or, and, and I don't speak for everyone, but all day reading news articles and learning and, and gaining their knowledge. Yeah, I, I think it's mixed. I think in some way, yes, a lot of what people do today is that. But I do believe, like, uh, at least this my anecdotal point of view, I think my kids know much more than I knew at their age because they do have access for much more inf- to much more information than I had. So that's there, and that's the part we do want to keep. We test and want to keep all these hours that are sucked because the fact that we're not autonomously choosing how much time we spend online is part of the problem. That if I pick up my phone and I have something intentional I want to do, I really wanted to read the most recent news, but then I end up scrolling for the next 10, 20, 30 minutes, that is the problem. That's the big upside is, is yes, there is access to information, 
and I, and I know more about things that I haven't known. I've listened to so many podcasts and having that accessibility that I didn't have 10, 15 years ago. But like you said, we're, to- we're slowly after we do our thing and we learn, oh, let me open up social media. Oh, two hours later, how did I get into this hole, this doom scrolling that I've been doing for so long? And it was interesting. I was at this event and I was talking to this guy and, and he actually went as far as getting another cell phone, getting another cell phone, getting another number, and that cell phone only being closest friends, four closest friends, family, uh, no no uh, social media on it, just just music and maps, that's all. And he uses that cell phone for most of the day and anything else he needs to do, he like for work or whatever, social media, he uses the other cell phone. And I was thinking about it, I was like, have we come to that that I actually am considering paying another monthly bill for another cell phone just to keep the sanity. Right. I think, and this really illustrates something. We do not have a middle-of-the-road phone. There are, you know, some phones for children, and there are some attempts, something called a light phone. They try to design something like that. It doesn't have all the capabilities. But you don't see Apple, for example, coming up with a phone which just has, you know, doesn't let you go on the internet, but has what you might need. You might have just the maps function or an alarm and, you know, texts and maybe even emails or, but but the thing is, right now, if you want to get something like this, either you get another phone like you described, or you get something that's not really mainstream. And one of the things that I think need to happen is to get the mainstream options to not just glow at you and constantly send you notifications as the, your default option. Yeah, I, it's the day I wish for that phone. I wish for Apple to release a phone where they go, hey, because it's our due diligence and our duty to make sure that our consumers actually you know, are healthy, I, I think that's what a good company does, they'll be able to have that out there for once. But yeah, it does illustrate where we are. It's either black or, or white, like you, you, you're you going to have this cell phone or you're going to have to get another cell phone and just have nothing on it. What are some of the biggest, most powerful tips uh, at sort of stepping away from that addictive tendency? What are some of maybe the resources, some things that you found to start bringing back that presence, that that time, that reducing that addiction and connection? Have you found anything? Well, I, I think there's some things people can do themselves, but there's something that's important that people do first is to stop blaming themselves. Because I think the way that the tech companies have created this is for us to think that we are the choosers and we are responsible. That's why they created all these uh, uh, help tools on the phone. Like you have Apple Screen Time tells you how much time you spend online. You can turn off your apps if you want to. You can turn your phone gray. Of course, these are not the default options. And basically what we think is it's our fault. We're not doing this well enough. Our kids, it's our kid's fault. He's an addict. It's our family's fault. Something is wrong here. So the first thing is to do is to know that we're sort of, this is an uphill battle we're fighting against and things will have to change in the public sphere. So I think people should start thinking about shifting from these internal battles with themselves and with their family to fighting in the public sphere. And partly is what's already been done legally, but partly I think every person can make a difference collectively. And I'll 
explain what I mean. I think schools is in a very important place because right now in schools, the uh, policy, the federal policy is the more technology, the better. That's how schools get funding. And it's been the policy for over a decade. The studies have not shown that students learn better from screens, actually the opposite. And since the pandemic, you know, teachers got used to teaching with screens. So now we have the bad guys of the tech industry in the classroom. We have kids learning from Minecraft and Roblox. And we have uh, teachers posting on TikTok. So this, and the, the thing is, this is, does not remain in the classroom because if your kids work in screens at school, homework is in screens as well. If Minecraft is legitimized by school, how can you tell your kid to get off Minecraft? So I think a very important place that people can change things is going to schools, because whether on the school level or the district level, and insisting that they assess whether technology is useful for its purpose or not, and not just shove any any possible technology at the students. I'm not sure that a middle schooler should have open Wi-Fi in the classroom when and try to concentrate where they can go online. And so I think that's just one of many examples where all of us can do things, but not by fighting with ourselves. I see. So when when we have a parent who's listening to this and they go, okay, my kid is, that sounds exactly like the school that my kid is at. Do they go to the superintendent? Do they go to the school board? How how do we empower people to start making a difference in groups? I would go to the principal, go work for the PTA, and it really depends on the type of you know the type of school district. You know, you can be active in the school district. There are always parents uh, committees. Parents are representatives. There's so much that can be done. Yeah, makes Even sense. Even speaking so- to the teacher, this I mean that and and that is crucial because you can delay things for the kids at least. Yeah, so and and that's re- because I, when I went to school we did, we had none of that, right? We just, we had books in each other. Uh so we we have yet to see the full expanse of how this is going to play out. But I I'm with you. I I actually do believe that it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to be inundated with technology, losing the value of presence, uh, in many ways, social skills, right? If if during recess, you know, most of the kids aren't playing and a lot of them are on their phones during this time. I mean, what are we doing? No, no, I think that's actually a very important point, the cell phones, because France banned cell phones in schools even during recess. And quite a few schools and districts in the U.S., have banned phones, many of them during classes, but some actually during lunch and recess as well. So that's one thing when parents where parents can be proactive, mm-hmm. asking the school to ban the cell phones so kids talk to each other during recess and lunch. What, what a world that would be, right? The kids talk to each other during recess and lunch, right? Coming back to, oh yeah, being a kid, connecting, making, making friends, but real friends, you know, being in groups, playing sports, but... Um, what would you say then to the parents, you know, whether it's, it's uh, you know, single parent, you know, two parents, what would you say to the ones that go, okay, you know what, but I need a break. My kid, I need to give them the iPad. My kid, I need to give them the cell phone because this is when they stop crying or finally I can get my tasks done. Is there a healthy way to balance uh, screen time for children 
for, for the parents out there? You know, I think it's very hard. It's a very hard job because you know it's so easy to give them this, the iPad. So you, you, you do what you can do. But I do think that you can try not to create new norms where you give your kids the iPad. For example, in New York City, uh, now we go to restaurants, most families come with iPads for the kids. But if you, yeah. you can bring something else, you can bring crayons. That's one example. Um, I was on holidays recently and I was looking at the pool and I couldn't believe what I saw. There was a family with a nine-year-old and 11-year-old girls. And the mom gave them both these plastic pouches to put the cell phones, the smartphones, in there so when they were in the water they could be on their phones so that's the kind of norms that you know you can stop before they become reality Mm -hmm. i'm just thinking about playing in the in the community pool when i was a kid and how that would be seen back in the uh, early 90s as alien like what is happening here you know and how and you know over 30 years it's become so normalized It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? An experience of proof that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid, scientific, research based, rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research 
based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been opened and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. So, uh, super important, super important. I, I, I actually did a show a few years ago talking about the effect of screen time. And actually, there should be a cutoff uh, about when it comes to screen time. Children shouldn't really be on the phones more than two hours or, or the iPad for more than two hours, three hours. Then, you know, we, we're going to start getting worried about how it's affecting their brain. And you mentioned early on, it does affect their brain. Uh, so, uh, the, the where are these kids going? Where is their cognitive uh, potential headed? headed? Is it, has it been reduced just because they're staring at phones at such an early developmental place? Yeah, that's what seems to be happening. And especially part of the problem is that some of these most addictive things are sold to parents as educational games. So one of the things I recommend in the book is basically have uh, ratings for addiction for games. So can you imagine before a parent download a game, if they could see how addictive the game was, they would not download that game. And I predict that what would happen is that the, design, the game manufacturers would start designing the games differently. They would take out some of these addictive features because they want the parents to download the games. So things could start changing through that. Yeah, and, and to me, that's a possibility because I remember when I played video games, uh, there would be a rating. So we would know, okay, my mom would be like, oh, this one has blood and guts and gore. You're too young for this. Movies, it always have a rating. My mom right. would go, hey, you can't watch this movie. You're too young for this. You're too young for this. Um, so I think the natural evolution, hopefully, as at some point, these computer games having that. Okay, so now we know how cell phones have affected children's brains, cognition, uh, adults alike, mood obesity. We talked about relationships, how it's affecting relationships. We talked about literally the secondhand smoke effect of cell phones. Is there anything that was most important for you that we didn't cover that's really essential that we need to know? I think it's important for people to realize that there's already a movement for change, that things have already changed out. Lots of parents who are suing game makers in class actions, suing for, for addicting their kids, uh, suing social networks for addicting their kids. 
schools are suing social networks for the health costs of what's happening to kids' mental health. We're seeing a lot of bills, especially to protect kids, but these will affect all of us if these addictive elements are taken out of the designs. And I've studied the history of tobacco and food, and this game has been played before. You're responsible, then since you're responsible, you chose this, you're responsible, we're not responsible. The thing is, this whole argument breaks usually when it gets to children because nobody thinks they chose and nobody thinks they're responsible. So I think that's where we're going to start seeing more legislation, more change for all of us. Because once these designs start changing, and hopefully the business model that sucks our time will change, things will change. And in a way, we're sort of in the middle of this. So I think people can do some things for themselves, you know, to try not to be online, whether like your friend, description of your friend who has a second yeah. phone. I put my phone on a timer for 20 minutes when I want to work. And I think these things are doable. The main thing is just to remember, it's not your fault and things will change when you do things collectively. Mm. And, and that's such empowering information because we... In our heads, we're the ones making the decision to grab our phone again. We're the ones making the decision to open up this app again. But we bring, we're bringing awareness, as you're saying, that this is constructed. It's constructed perfectly with a lot of engineering, with a lot of, with a lot of uh, intention to bring us there. And then, like you said, the big tobacco right? Or whether it's whatever big industry that is, is harming many of us when it comes to children. No, these children aren't choosing it. It's right there in front of them and they're becoming addicted too. So beautiful way to end that. Listen, Gaia, where do we find you? Uh, GaiaBernstein.com and uh, my book Unwired is available everywhere you would get your book. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you right now, it is, it's right next to my bed and for for someone, it's so funny when I opened my drawer, I came in the mail and I opened my drawer and I, and I guess someone in my house unwrapped it already and had it in there. And I go, what's this Unwired? I go, is this, is so did someone buy this as a sign? Because I'm always on my phone. <laughs> and then, and then I saw it was from you and I go, oh, wow, this is really cool. So I have it on the side of my bed. I want everyone to go check out that book. And here's why. Cause this is something that's part of our everyday lives. We're not talking about, you know, some, biohack that some people do. You know, we're not talking about some place that people go on a retreat and experience about that. This is an everyday thing, you know, almost as common as breathing are we grabbing our cell phones for most people. This book is an awesome, awesome way to bring a lot of clarity. So if you resonated with this podcast, go check it out. Guy, thank you so much for coming on the show, taking the time out of your busy day. I know you've been talking a lot. Your voice is, is shot from doing all these, all these talks, but how, what a gift to have you talk to this wonderful audience. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you. Take care. Labels all over the supermarket. I know how confusing it can be. You know, one thing says non-GMO. The other one says natural. The other one says grown in the sun. The other one says farmer fresh. The other one says organic. What the heck is it? What does it all mean? You know, when you're in the supermarket, sometimes you see all of these greenwashing labels, you want to concentrate it down right to the truth. So today I'm going to break down three of the most important labels you need to know about. If you can read these quality assurance labels, you're going to have 90% of the empowered decisions you can make right out of your hands. So let's get right to it. 
First, the non-GMO project certified label. This one's so confusing to so many people. And I don't think that was the intention of the organization, but overall, this label is pretty meaningless. I gotta tell it like it is. Even if the organization didn't mean for it to be this way and they put all their hard works, I think their efforts are misdirected. Why? Because the label doesn't tell us much. All it tells us that the food in front of you was not utilized with GMO technology. But what does that mean? According to the FDA, GMO technology or GMOs is a plant, animal, or microorganism that has had its genetic material changed using technology that generally involves the specific modification of DNA, including the transfer of specific DNA from one organism to another. It sounds very sciencey and kind of weird, right? Now, that GMO modification hasn't been a problem for me, a big problem. We've hybridized so many foods over the years with a lot of genetic changes. But my problem has been the chemicals that have been used on these GMO crops, the pesticide that's been used, Roundup. And that's a controversial pesticide. And it's been shown to have a detrimental effect to our health, most pronounced in the cells that line our gut and our gut bacteria. Go back to listen to my show. If you really wanna go deep into the weeds, go listen to the Monsanto paper show that I did, the expose on it. I went over all of the emails that came out from Monsanto, who is the distributor or the creator of Roundup. So if you really want to get into it, go back and listen to it. But really, when it comes to the non-GMO label, all it means is that this technology wasn't used to make the food, DNA technology. What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there's no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. It doesn't tell me about anything with synthetic fertilizers or sewer sludge being in the food. It doesn't tell me about anything when it comes to pesticides being used on the food. Yes, if it's non-GMO, it can have pesticides. It can even have Roundup. It doesn't say anything about antibiotics or hormones used in these animals. It doesn't say anything about the feed that these animals used in the pasture. And it also says nothing about wildlife and biodiversity, soil fertility. It says nothing. All it says is that the technology used to make the food was not genetically modified. But at this point, it doesn't mean much. So let's move to USDA organic. Go for the organic label when you can. It matters. From a nutrition standpoint, some studies say it's the same. Some say organic is better. Okay, great. But from a pesticide residue standpoint, it is very important. And lots of food science pages say organic is a hoax. Conventional is the same. Organic doesn't matter. Pesticides are safe. And the answer is no, 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 and hell no. Let me clear this up. The biggest concern about conventional food is not the lack of nutrients, although many do lack when compared to organic counterparts, it's the way that food scientists see pesticides. They base their pesticides are safe argument in a vacuum. Now let's chat about something crucial, that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products, as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right? We have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code 
and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter and you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Pure.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Pure. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water or kombucha or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha, plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. And what that means is that the chemical toxicity is derived in a per chemical basis. How lethal is a chemical to an animal at this dose and what is the safe dose for humans? And you hear food scientists say the dose makes the poison. And these folks are living in the 80s with some flawed assumptions. And this is a reductionist statement without understanding the interplay of different variables, such as these chemicals interact with each other. They can synergize via the entourage effect. We know this. Various chemicals interact and create greater damage than alone in a vacuum. Number two, not all chemicals are water-soluble that you just pee out when you're exposed to them. Some deposit in the fat. Some deposit in the tissue. They bioaccumulate over time. Now, if the dose makes the poison, how do you explain heavy metal accumulation? You eat enough tuna, even at a safe dose, over time, and you will inevitably begin to accumulate mercury in your system. And number three, some chemicals display a phenomenon called the non-monotonic dose response. And that goes against predictable or typical dose response patterns. So what is expected in chemicals is the more chemical that's in there, the more toxic it is. Some chemicals will show that as a dose increases, so does the effect. But the non-monotonic dose response, which is essential to understand and goes against the dose makes the poison, is actually a U-shaped curve. So even at low doses, there's a high amount of negative effects that we see in the body. And then even at high doses, we see similar effects. A lot of chemicals follow that. So this is the problem. 
It's not that the dose makes the poison. You can't always say that. It's not true for everything. And we can't be living in the 80s. No more reduction of science. We need to look at a holistic picture and see everything for what it is. So when it comes to USDA organic, what is the difference? When you see the USDA organic label, it's telling you that GMO use is prohibited, just like the non-GMO label, but also everything else. There's no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives, no synthetic fertilizers, no sewer sludge, no toxic persistent pesticides that are in there, the big thing. No antibiotics or hormones on animals. The animals are eating 100% organic feed from the pasture and it's protecting wildlife and biodiversity, enhancing soil fertility, and it's regulated by law. So at the very least, USDA organic is far from perfect, but right now it's the best thing we have, or is it? I'm gonna talk about a new one that's came out that is far beyond better than all of them. Let's get right into this one. So the new label that is out and it's growing, and for me offers so much more security. It's beyond USDA organic, it's regenerative organic. And to understand why this goes above and beyond, you must understand industrial farming methods. They're a problem. We thought many years ago that machines and chemicals were the solution, right, when it all started. But in fact, it's devastated our soil and our climate. Forecasts actually have predicted that global topsoils would deplete in 60 years at our current rate that we're going. While studies have proven that conventional industrial agriculture contributes to about 25% of the emissions that are driving the climate crisis. According to regenerativeorganic.org, with regenerative organic agriculture, we begin to rehabilitate the soil, respect animal welfare, and improve the lives of farmers. What they're doing is sequestering carbon, building up healthier communities that are actually reaping more nutritious and abundant yields that are going to you, right? More nutritious food, cleaner food with a deeper purpose. Now we need to take a more holistic view. It's not just about organic crops. It's the health of the soil. It's the health of the animals. It's respect of the farmers and the migrant workers, right? Big picture stuff. We need to zoom out now. We've been too many zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, me, 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 me. We need to see a bigger picture. So in practice, this is what it looks like. What they practice is cover cropping. So there's crop residues or mulch year round, and it's bringing more nitrogen to the soil. That's important for the crops that are coming in next. They rotate the crops. They plant different crops sequentially on the same plot, and it's improving soil health and optimizing nutrients in the soil. Nutrients in the soil and better soil is going to align with better health for you, not only from the food that's coming, but the soil, the topsoil on the planet, the health of the topsoil on the planet is your health, believe it or not. That's crazy to say, oh yeah, yeah, no, we're connected to farms. If you remember my show with Zach Bush, he went deeply into this. And when it comes to regenerative organic, they practice low or no-till farming. One of the worst farming interventions that have ever came out, aside from the use of chemicals, is the use of machines, tilling machines. And when Zach Bush went into this, he went into detail. Go back to my show, my second show with him. Tillage equipment destroys the structure of the soil and the soil microbiome, the microbial and mycelium network that is fundamental to the health of the earth and ultimately your health. They do rotational grazing for grass-fed and grass-finished ruminants like cattle. So they're moving around the pastures and they're eating high-quality soil and returning nutrient-rich manure. They do compost, and of course, of course, zero use of persistent chemical pesticides and fertilizers. So it's new. It's not going to be, you're going to go to Whole Foods, you ain't going to find all of it everywhere. Some products will have it. Regenerative Organic Alliance is formed by a group of experts in farming, ranching, soil health, animal welfare, and farmer and worker fairness, and it was founded by the Rodale Institute, Dr. Bronner's, and Patagonia. So what you want to look for is the ROA label. It's a nice little label with an arrow going back to the soil. It's really cool. 
I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be a standard uh, where we look for something better than USDA organic. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. You'll see, but know where we're going when it comes to food labeling. And it looks like it's for the better. So I hope this show was really empowering for you. And I hope that now you can read nutrition labels with so much more encouragement and feeling good in your body about it. You're empowered. Go to the supermarket and see the difference and know what companies are doing to kind of like trick you into buying some products and know how to empower yourself. Gaia Bernstein, amazing show. She really went in on it. Again, empowerment around cell phones. Let's create some more boundaries on it. If you're looking for supplements, the best of the best, whether it's herbals, nutraceuticals, eco-home stuff, baby stuff, makeup, the best of the best on the swell score. I want you to check it out. Check out the Heal Thyself swag, hts.today, sustainable, organic, beautiful designs. Support the show, rate, review, subscribe. If it really aligned with you, open the heart, share it with someone you love, and thank you. I will see you next week.